0: Appreciate it. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here. My name is Eric. I'm the pastor here at New Life. Very grateful for those of you here. And if you are a first time guest, I want to offer you a special welcome. Thanks for coming and uh, worshiping with us this morning. Well, this morning is a very exciting day. Uh, Today is what we call in the church calendar the Feast of the Holy Trinity. That's a big name, right? It's also called Trinity Sunday. This is typically a Sunday that we reflect on and think about the mystery of God, that he is three persons in one God, and here in a little bit we're going to have some time to think about that and reflect on that. Uh, But for now, for the teaching portion of our service, uh, we're going to jump back into a sermon series we began back at the beginning of... May. We took a couple weeks break, the last two weeks, uh, because we were celebrating the Feast of the Ascension and the Feast of Pentecost, and now we're jumping back into this sermon series. So we're taking seven teachings, seven weeks, and we're going to explore the ways that Jesus is Lord of all. And we're kind of taking Paul, the Apostle Paul, his experience with Jesus, where he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He thought that Jesus was just a rebel and a troublemaker and a heretic. And he met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, on the road to Damascus, and everything changed for Paul. He began to recognize Paul as Lord, that he is the Lord of all things. And in fact, he says that Jesus holds all, all things together, that all things were created through him and for him. So Paul had this very radical change in opinion about who Jesus is. And so we're taking these six weeks, uh, seven weeks, to see how Paul thought about Jesus in these various areas of our lives that we all have to deal with. So typically there are kind of about six things that I think all people from all time have to deal with. And it's things like family, Uh, church, neighborhood, work, health, and finances. All of us, we have to struggle and wrestle with these things. We want to do these things better, and we want to grow in these things, and we want to experience wholeness and joy in each of these areas. And these are the areas that I think cause us the most stress and distress in our lives. And so that's what we're doing here is we're exploring how Jesus is Lord of these different areas. And today, we're talking about health that Jesus is Lord of our health. Now, our culture, our society, has a disordered relationship with our bodies. Because as we go into the summer seasons, what do you see if you watch television or if you're on social media? You see advertisements for different products that promise that your body is going to be better, is going to look better, and therefore you are going to be happier. Eat this food, go on this diet, take this pill, take this, uh, this supplement, this protein powder, whatever it might be, buy this gym membership, and sure enough, poof, you're going to love the way that you look, right? We have all these promises in our society that our bodies are fundamentally bad, and we need to change them to look perfect and beautiful and pristine, and if we don't have this, we aren't experiencing a full life. We have this disordered relationship with our bodies. Or we're promised that depending on what foods you eat and where you go, you might have a better or worse body, and therefore you are better or worse, right? If you eat fast food and low-quality foods, that, that harms your body, and then there's a lot of shame and, and guilt associated with that because I know that uh, if you go out to eat, it's kind of embarrassing when you see somebody that you know there, right? Right? And you're like, oh, I didn't think I was going to run into my neighbor or my friend or my family member at McDonald's and now I'm embarrassed because now they know I eat McDonald's, right? We have this disordered, you know what's really bad is when the drive-through person starts knowing your name and then you're like, oh, this isn't good, this isn't good. So we have this disordered relationship with our bodies, with what we eat, with what we do with our bodies. And so we're going to explore that a little bit today. We're going through this passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul's kind of reflecting on his body. And as your pastor, I'm standing up here and confessing to you that this is an area that I don't excel at. This is not an area that I am, uh, that I have walked with integrity in this. So food is a comfort for me. I also like getting together with friends and family and having parties, and I like eating and drinking and doing those things, and sure enough, if you do that enough and you don't exercise enough, it puts weight on your body, right? And you're not as healthy as you could be, so I'm learning this with you, and we're learning it together about how to approach our health and think about our health, and so we get to, we get to learn what Jesus has to say to us about our bodies. And this passage that we're looking at Is really interesting because Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church, and in the Corinthian church, there are lots of factions. There are different groups of people who think that they have the truth. One of these factions is this group who are Jewish Christians, and they are of the opinion that every Christian has to be a Jew. And in Jewish law, a lot of the laws have to do with your body, what you do with your body what you touch or don't touch with your body, what you do or don't eat and do or don't drink. And so it has a lot to do with your body, that the men have to be circumcised. You can't eat pork. You can't touch dead animals without being ritually unclean. And these Jewish Christians were trying to convince the rest of the Corinthian church that you had to abide by Jewish law before you could be a Christian. And Paul then responds to them in this way, by reflecting on his body and what he does with his body. And so this is what we read here in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 19. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law." To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. For though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its many blessings. So if we go back to verse 19, I feel like he does a nice job of just telling you right up front what he's going to say in the rest of that paragraph. And he says, "For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more of them." So for Paul, he Paul was a good Jew. He abided by kosher laws, he was a pharisee of pharisees, he was top tier. He did everything right. He obeyed all the laws. He was the man. He was a religious zealot. He did everything right. He treated his body well uh, in accordance with the law. And then when he became a Christian, something changed. He realized under the authority of Jesus Christ, and if Jesus Christ is Lord of your body, and if he is Lord of all, that changes what Paul understood that he needed to do. Now he was no longer bound by the laws that were given early because Christ is the fulfillment of the laws. So in Christ, all the laws are fulfilled, and Christians no longer have to obey all the laws. We no longer have to eat kosher. We no longer have to be circumcised. We no longer have to worry about what we're touching and not touching and doing these things. Now Christians are free. And Paul reflects on this. I am free with respect to all. Nobody can, bound, can bind Paul about anything. Paul can eat pork. He can drink what he wants. He can eat meat that is sacrificed to idols. He, although he was circumcised when he was a baby, if he wasn't circumcised, he wouldn't have to get circumcised. He's free. Nobody can bind his conscience on issues of the law. But, he says, I have made myself a slave to all. Why? So that he might win some to the kingdom of God. So Paul had this goal to have the kingdom of God spread around the globe, and especially to the Gentiles. And so although he is free to all, he is free in regards to what other people say he should and shouldn't do. Although in Christ he does not have to, he is not bound by what he eats or drinks. There is no law on him about these things he makes himself a slave to others in regards to these things, for the goal that he is trying to meet—to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he spends the rest of this paragraph talking about it. To the Jews, he becomes like a Jew. So when he's interacting with Jewish believers or with uh, Jews who are not yet believers, who are not messianic, who do not believe Jesus is the Messiah, guess what? He eats kosher. He makes sure that he's ritually clean. When he's interacting with them, he restricts his freedom in order to communicate the gospel well to them, in order to welcome them into the kingdom. To those who are outside the law, to the Gentiles, he doesn't eat kosher. He eats pork, he eats meat sacrificed to idols, because that, if he was a Jew and he demanded the Gentiles do what Jews do, he wouldn't be able to reach them for the gospel. So when he's with Gentiles, he acts and behaves like a Gentile. When he's with Jews, he acts and behaves like Jews. He becomes all things to all people, using his body for this purpose, that some might enter the kingdom of God. And so here's the principle, okay? That the love of others and the service to others is what should compel us to restrict what we do and do not eat. As a Christian, all things are clean. Food is clean, drink is clean, tobacco is clean. You are free with respect to all. It is all clean. But there is a greater law, and that is Christ's law, and his demand to love and to serve our neighbors and to love and to serve those around us, that compels us out of love to restrict what we do and do not do in order to love better. So here's an example. If you can eat whatever you want, and you can bloat up and get huge, right? But you might die young. You might not live to see your grandkids. Or even if you do live to see your grandkids, you may not be able to play with them on the floor and get to know them and proclaim the gospel to them. You have now limited your witness because of what you've eaten if you drink so much that you get drunk and you're unable to control your mouth, you're unable to control how you think and how you behave in a situation, now you have harmed your witness because you are no longer under self control. You, you are now harming your ability to bring others into the kingdom. So all things are clean, everything is free. But we limit what we do for the good of others. That's the principle here. That's what Paul says. And so we treat our bodies well because our bodies are gifts that are given to us by God. God has blessed us with these bodies and it is through these bodies that we serve our neighbors and proclaim the gospel. You proclaim the gospel with your tongue that's inside your head, that's connected to your brain. It's part of your body. You need to be healthy in order to proclaim the gospel well. In order to play with your kids and to hug them and to kiss them and to show them that you love them and show them affection, you have to be able to move your body, get down on your hands and knees, play with them. If you can't do that, you can't express the fullness of your love for them. And now your witness to them about the love of God is reduced because you're unable to do these things. Now these bodies, these bodies that we have right now are corrupted by sin go back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve rebel against God and they they disobey what God has commanded, there are some consequences that happen because of that. That the actual created order, what we can see and touch is actually broken and disordered that now uh, God tells Adam that the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles and that he's going to have to, by the sweat of his brow, produce food for himself and for his family. So work is no longer this fulfilling co-laboring with God to take care of the earth, but now it's actually a toil that you have to do in order to produce food for you and for your community. And if you know any farmers, you know this is the truth. It's a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of resources and work to produce fruit, good things out of the earth to feed the community. And God tells Eve that because of this disordered creation now, giving birth is going to be painful, that bearing children is going to be painful. And up until modern times, childbearing and giving birth was the number one killer of women. And it actually, like, our bodies are distorted and corrupted because of the sin that's unleashed into the world. And so these bodies are going to die. They're going to grow old. They're gonna get sick and they're gonna die because our bodies are corrupted by sin. But the hope of the gospel is that after Jesus returns, he's going to raise up our bodies and he's going to reunite us with our spirits, the part that we can't see, and that we get to live forever with him in the new creation. You see, when we talk about heaven, you know, when we talk about going to heaven, that's just the pit stop to the real eternal life which is when God reforms our bodies out of the dust and out of the ashes that are scattered and he reunites us with our bodies and we have glorified bodies that last forever in the new creation. Our bodies are not bad. Our bodies are good. They're just corrupted. And so God actually envisions for us to have a life that's lived in a body. And these bodies, although they are weak and they get old and they die, they are tools that God has given us to uh, spread the kingdom and to invite others into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the hope is that in the new creation, after our new bodies are formed and they're glorified and we get to live forever, we get to look around and see our kingdom impact. We get to look around and see our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids because with our bodies, we were able to show them love and affection. We were able to hold them gently and rock them to sleep. We were able to proclaim the gospel with our tongues and show them love with how we speak and how we act. And that proclamation of the gospel and the loving our kids, that spreads down to their kids and to their kids and to their kids. And we get to be in the new creation in our new bodies. We get to look around and see the kingdom impact that we had. And it starts here in our body, in this body right now we love and serve our neighbors with our bodies we proclaim the gospel with our mouths we get to get to the new creation we get to see our neighbors and our friends and our family that we invited into the kingdom because we were able to love and serve them with our bodies our bodies are good and love is what ought to compel us to take care of our bodies to have health because here's the deal Is that there is no diet, there's no amount of running, there's no amount of exercise, there's no pill you can take, supplement you can take, amount of water that you can drink that is going to save you. What we eat, what we drink, and how we take care of our bodies does not save us, but it is the thing that God has given us to love and to serve our neighbors and our families. In our community. And so Paul continues on, and he kind of gives us this application here. Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air. But I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. So Paul says that he punishes his body. The word here is literally bruise. It means to, to like make, make something submit to you. So when we allow our bodies and our cravings to rule how we behave and act, when we let our, the, the synapses and the chemicals in our brains run our emotions and run our behavior, when we allow our bellies to dictate what we eat, when we eat, and these kinds of things, we're heading down this road of unhealth. But if we wrangle our bodies and we understand how to take care of them, when we understand how to limit our freedom to eat well, to drink well, to exercise well, then suddenly... We get to have the kingdom impact that God has asked us to have. We get to transform the hearts and lives of our community and our world, and we get this imperishable wreath, this imperishable honor in the new creation to look around and see what God has done through us, what God has done through our bodies. You see, this is not a matter of salvation. You're free, my brothers and sisters. You're free to eat and drink what you want. But let love dominate what you do. Let love drive and dominate what you eat and drink and how you eat and drink. Let love dominate and drive what you do with your body in order to gain that imperishable wreath that we may not be disqualified